jumping into a new series um, on the book of Hebrews. Uh, I entitled it A New Day. Um, Hebrews can be a difficult book. For most people, when they read the book of Hebrews, they just skim over the difficult parts, the odd parts, the things that are, uh, you know, we just mental assent, okay, this must be what he's talking about. I don't really understand it. It seems odd that he's, they stated that there. It seems like it's out of place. But we just accept it and we just, we just roll, on, roll on. Well, tell you the truth, those are the things that we're probably going to be spending the most amount of time on. Um, this, this series, I, I'm ta- taking a chance because normally this type of message isn't done on Sunday morning. We're going to be studying the book of Hebrews as, as I would. I would. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We're going to dive in to some, some deep things. Because how, do you, how many of you know, if you've if you got gray-colored sunglasses, the whole world looks gray, right? And I believe that the church has had gray-colored sunglasses on for way too long. It's time that we put some purple, that's royalty, lens glasses on, and we see things in a different light. A different perspective, because when when you when you go to the Word of God, you come to it with a with an already preconceived idea of what it's saying. You come to the to the Word of God with a lens that you see things through, and these are lenses that we have received as we have grown in different um, churches and different um, ministries and different Bible teachers. All of these things. We have learned to see the, the, the Bible in a certain, certain way. And uh, for some of you, the way that we look at some, some ideas here in the book of Hebrews, to you it might be different. How many of you guys were here when we went to um, we t- teach this series, um, The Best is Yet to Come, the, on revelations and stuff like that? I am positive that there was many of you that seen that teaching completely different than you've, than you've heard or the lens that you've looked at it in the past. And I guarantee as we go through the book of Hebrews, you're going to have that same experience, right? And that's why we have to have the Holy Spirit to be our guide and to realize that um, we can look at Scripture from different angles and different different views, and, and to get a clear understanding, and then weigh that and see, does that radiate with the spirit that is within me? Does that all of a sudden make the Bible so much more clear and more understandable, right? The book of Hebrews um, is an awesome, awesome book, and I said that I was going to try to get through one chapter a week. Yeah, forget about it. Um, my goal is to get through verse 4. So, so let's ju- jump into this. The book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews. You're probably wondering, how do I know that? Because it's, it's in the title, right? It's in the title. It also tells you who's supposed to be making the coffee every morning, right? It says Hebrews. But, uh, but no, that's, that's the only joke, and it's bad. That's the last one. Unlike a lot of the books of the Bible, the New, Test- New Testament writings, 
um, there is no signature on, on the book. We don't, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, right? And it's not, it, and, they, and, you know, there's lots of discussion on who wrote it. Um, um, if it wasn't Paul, then whoever did write it was, was strongly influenced by Paul, I, w- I would say, when you look at the rest of the uh, scriptures, um, the New Testament writings. Um, but it doesn't really matter who wrote it. The main, what does matter is that it was inspired by Holy Spirit. That it was given by inspiration of Holy Spirit for the church. Right? So, uh, as we discuss in more detail, we're going to see Hebrews is written in a very turbulent time in church history. A very turbulent time in church history. They were living in the last days, and the old covenant was about to completely pass away. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna expound on this. A new covenant, a better covenant, had come, and it was in the process of being established in the earth. Hebrews, along with other New Testament books, was establishing what theologians call Christ the victor, victor um, which means Christ victorious. Christ victorious. Because what is what is what is the New Testament declaring? A new covenant and a victorious defeat of sin, death, and, and the kingdom of darkness by Jesus Christ. Right? It is not it is not a story about the end of the world. It's a story about Christ the victor. Hebrews is written to believers that were under extreme persecution. It was for their edification. It was for their encouragement so that they would not lose heart. Hebrews is uh, is proving that Jesus and the new covenant is better than the old covenant. It is a superior covenant that is replacing an inferior covenant. So you have to understand something. A A lot of people think that there's a God in the Old Testament that is completely different than the God of the New Testament. That in the Old Testament, God was grumpy and mean and, 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 and vengeful. In the New Testament, he's lovey, lovey-dovey. No, the difference is, is covenants, agreements. God was dealing with people according to the covenant that he had with them. Do you understand that? And that's why it's so important. There's multiple, we can't teach on all this, but there's multiple covenants in the Old Testament. There's the covenant God made with Adam. There's the covenant God made with Noah. There's the covenant that God made with Abraham. There's the Mosaic covenant, right? So there's different covenants, and this is how God dealt with humans. He came into a legal contract, a promise, based on two parties. Right? Okay, I'm not going to go there. Um, so this is the focus of Hebrews, is this, is this transition from one covenant to another. And the writer is attempting um, to discourage people from going back to the old covenant because of great pressure to do so. And we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. 
the 13 chapters of Hebrews are organized in a way to clearly represent the supremacy of Christ. Chapters 1 through 7, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Aaron, the priesthood. Jesus is better than Melchizedek. And chapters 8 through 10, the new covenant is better. The new covenant is based on better promises. The new covenant is, has a better sanctuary. What is that sanctuary? The new covenant has a better sacrifice. The new covenant has better results. And then 11 through 13, faith is the response. Faith is our response. Faith is the natural response to, to our connection to the new covenant. Adam, Enoch, Noah, and many others give examples of connecting to God through faith. Faith is the basis of a better relationship with God. And faith is an be overall better manner of life. So let's jump into this. We'll start in Hebrews chapter 1. It says, God, who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Wow. It says that in the to the fathers, he spoke to the fathers. Who's, whose fathers were they? The children of Israel, right? The Jews. He spoke to them, God spoke to them through the prophets. And he says that in these, and, and then has in these last days spoken to us by the Son. That word has is past tense. When did... God speak through the Son when he was on earth. Understand that the New Testament hadn't been written yet. When Jesus was on the earth, he spoke. He represented God to the people. He has done it in the last days. Has in these last days. When you hear those words, last days, you immediately jump in to this idea of our last days, your last days. You're, you're, you're attributing it to yourself. But you've got to understand, even though we can be edified, even though we can learn from the book of Hebrews, even though that uh, it's the word of God and it's scripture, it was written to Hebrews. It was written to Hebrews in like 67, 68 A.D., right? And so he's writing to them, and he's saying it's the last days. It's not the last, it's not, why would he write to them and say it's the last days in 2024 or 2030? 2,000 years removed, it's the last days. No, he's talking to them, and he's saying it's the last days. In the last days, Jesus spoke. In the last days. Whose last days? Their last days. He's talking to Hebrews that are living in the last days. Last days of what? See, this is what we've got to understand. What is the point of the book of Hebrews? What is the point of almost all of the New Testament writings? 
it's books that are transitional from one covenant that is passing away and is completely gone now to a new covenant in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. What if everywhere that you read last days in the Bible isn't talking about your future, it's talking about who they were writing to's future, and it's actually our past. The last days, he's talking about the last days of the old covenant. The old covenant days. The last days of the fading away of the old covenant. This is going to make the book of Hebrews and many other books of the Bible just, I mean, it's going to breathe new life and understanding into them. It's the last days of the fading away of the old covenant, of the Mosaic system, and of Judaism. See, when you, we read the Bible, we have to keep things in context. You have to keep it in context because when you take it out of context, when you take the text out of the context, all you're left is with a con. So it's important to have context. It's important to understand history. It's important to understand who he's writing to. Because you can, you can, say, you can say, well, God, we, we need to build an ark. We need to build an ark. And like, what? It's going to rain. God's going to flood the earth. What are you talking about? Right there in Genesis, it says that God's going to flood the earth. We need to build an ark. No, you don't understand. That's, that's already happened. That's history. We don't need, he's not telling us to do that. Now what happens if the things that we're reading in the New Testament is actually their future, our history? God, well here's what it's saying. That in the old days, God spoke by the prophets but in the end of those days, he spoke by the Son, who brought us a new day. God spoke through his Son, who introduced a new covenant and put an end to the old. This is the main point of the entire book of Hebrews. The new is better than the old. Hey, listen, up, there, what he's saying is there's good news in these last days, which is the age to come is finally at hand. It's time to receive a better covenant that establishes an everlasting kingdom of God, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And what we need to understand is that this transition period from A.D. 30 to 70 is the only time in history, past or future, that we that can be referred to as the last days. Let's dig in deeper. I know that you're always... Woo. Look at what Peter confirms this in, 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 in Acts. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk 
as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So apparently if it was like 6 o'clock at night, it could have been. It could have been drunk. I don't know. But it was too early in the morning to be drunk, you saying. I just think that's funny. How he, it, it, <laughs> But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What was the promise of the spirit? Jesus said, go and tarry, wait for the promise of the spirit. The promise of the spirit was to let them know it was, it was evidence of the new covenant. It was the evidence of the new covenant, right? Because there was an old covenant, and Jesus established a new covenant. He talked about it at Passover, the first Lord's Supper. This is my, the new covenant in my body and my blood, right? So understand, the old covenant was introduced on Pentecost. Many people don't know that. Pentecost means 50. 50 days after the children of Israel left Egypt, left the bondage, the slave master, just like we left the slave master's sin and the devil, he was destroyed by Jesus, praise the Lord. Just like Pharaoh was destroyed in the Red Sea, we are baptized into Christ just as, we're gonna, just as they, they, they were baptized in the, through Moses in the Red Sea. Anyways, 50 days later, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. And he comes down with tablets of stone. And what does he find? The tablets of stone, it represents the Mosaic Covenant. And he comes down and he sees a party going on, right? But it wasn't a good party. They were partying around a golden calf. And what happened? Moses threw the tablets of stone down. God's judgment came down. And 3,000 people were killed. 3,000 people killed to the old covenant. Welcome to the, to the covenant. 3,000 yet dead. Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus died and rose from the grave. The 120 are in the upper room. And instead of tablets of stone coming down, tongues of fire come down to establish a new covenant. Right? And they're filled with the Holy Ghost. And he says, this is the sign of the prophet Joel that in the last days, the last days, there's a new covenant, it's the last days, and God poured out his spirit on all flesh. That means that you can receive the Holy Spirit in abundance. There, he's not holding anything back from you. But anyways, he stands up, he starts preaching, and all of a sudden people are cut to the, to the heart, and they, and they say, what must we do to be saved? And he says, believe upon the name of Jesus Christ and be baptized. And 3,000 were saved. Is that a coincidence? You can't make this stuff up. The old covenant, 3,000 died. The new covenant, 3,000 were saved. The old covenant is a covenant of death. The new covenant is a covenant of life. So this introduced a new covenant, and he introduced a new covenant in the last days. He's not talking about the last days of planet Earth. He's talking about the last days of the covenant, and the Holy Spirit was proof of that. What's the main point of the New Testament? 
what is it, what is God, what is Holy Spirit trying to establish in the earth? The New Testament was written to tell the story of the New Covenant. It was not written to predict the end of planet earth. It's good news. It's good news of a kingdom, of a king and a kingdom that is being established in the earth. Thy kingdom come, Jesus prayed. Thy will be done when we get to heaven one day. No. On earth as it is in heaven. We are living so far below our birthright because we need to repent and change how we see us in the kingdom of God. The New Testament was written to tell the story of the New Covenant. It's about how we walk in this new reality. We, like them, are now living in a glorious and internal kingdom with an internal covenant with God. It's amazing. And we're just getting started. We're, we're just in the first two verses. Let's get, look at, we're jumping ahead a little bit. We'll come to, back to this when we get to Hebrews 8. But look at what Hebrews 8 says. This is in context, right? With the same writer, same book, all this. He says, in that he says, a new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old, is ready to vanish away. So he's saying that there's a new covenant and there's an old covenant at the same time. But the old covenant is, is, is becoming is obsolete and it's starting to vanish away. It start, don't, see, a lot of times we just skip over verses like this. I don't understand. What do you mean? It's either a new covenant or old covenant. No, it says that there's a trans, transition. There's a transition between the covenant. It's not, there were, there were some people that were still practicing the old covenant. And there was a new, there was a new people called Christians that were practicing New covenant. There are, was a 40 year period of the old Mosaic system fading away in a transitional period. And this is all going to come clear. I got to state some facts and then we'll uh, back them up. The final nail in the coffin was 70 AD when the temple sacrifices, worship, Everything that made up the old Mosaic Covenant was destroyed. It was completely destroyed. Listen to me. God made sure that even if they rejected his Messiah, even if they rejected Jesus, they would not be able to return to the old covenant even if they wanted to. It was a great tribulation. God put an absolute end to the Old Covenant. Do you realize for over almost 2,000 years, Jews have never, ever practiced true Judaism? They have never had a Day of Atonement. They have never had atoning sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. They have no temple. They had, 
you understand, they're, 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 they're not even keeping the Old Covenant any longer. God made sure that they would never, ever be able to keep the Old Covenant again. Because a, good, a new one has come. A better one has come. Jesus has come. Now I put this together, and, and this, this helps me a little bit. Maybe help you. So we got the Old Covenant, we got the New Covenant, we got Jesus in the center. Jesus shows up around 30 A.D., right? Jesus shows up in around 30 A.D., they, they, this, and he brings what? The kingdom. And John the Baptist says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does the word repent mean? One of these days I'm going to do a teaching on this. I'm going to teach, uh, go through everywhere that talks, says the word repentance. Or repent. Because it doesn't mean what you think it means. When we say that people need to repent, we, say, we think that we're, they need to feel sorry, shameful, guilty, condemned for their sins that they need to beg and plead God to forgive them. No. Repent means to change your mind. Change the way you think. That's why John the Baptist, when he's standing in the River Jordan, he's standing in the River Jordan, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and he tells them, repent. Who, had, who has told you to repent? Who, who has told you to change your mind? Right? And then, and then he points, and he says, God is able to turn these rocks into children of Abraham. Now let me explain what, everything that's going on here. Because a new covenant is coming in. Just before, John the Baptist says, sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? And John was in the river Jordan. Now understand, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. They wandered 40 years in the wilderness. And isn't it funny from 30 A.D. to the end of the temple and the Mosaic Covenant, 70 A.D. is one generation, 40 years. And Jesus shows up, and John's in the River Jordan. He comes in and is baptized. He, 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 what, his baptism is his, our inclusion in him. He was baptized for us. He didn't need to be baptized for sin. He was being baptized for us as us. His death was for us as us. His resurrection was for us, and we are in him in his resurrection. You understand that? So he comes into the waters, and John was a priest. How do I know he's a priest? Because his father was Zechariah, and he was a priest. So he was a priest. So we got Jesus and a priest in the water. What happened when Joshua, and it's interesting that Jesus real name is Yeshua, Joshua, the Lord saves. And he's in the water. And when Joshua, at the end of the 40 years to go into the promised land, God told them to um, put the Ark of the Covenant, have the priest put the Ark of the Covenant and walk into the, into the Jordan River and make sure the people were 2,000 feet behind them, or cubits, or whatever the term they use. And when they, they, the Ark of the Covenant and the priests hit the Jordan River, the river split, and they went across dry land. Here we have a priest. Here we have the mercy seat of God. We have the, the, the Ark, the, the, the one that took it all into his servant body. And he comes into the Jordan River, right? And what does, it, what, what does it say 
in the Old Testament when the waters pushed back on the Jordan River, to what city did it push back to? Does anybody know? The city of Adam. Jesus is undoing everything from there to all the way to Adam. It's all done. And when they got across to the other side, they stacked up 12 stones as a memorial. God says, do this as a memorial so you can remember what the Lord your God has done. And John the Baptist turns to the political and religious leaders of that day and points to those stones. And he says, God is able to make children of Abraham out of these very stones. So you need to change your mind. You need to repent. Something new is coming. You need to get ready. He was one shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Right? So, the wilderness. They're in the wilderness. And what, ha what was the reason why they couldn't enter into the promised land? Because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. And only a remnant went into the promised land. Right? Because they died in the wilderness. See, God is not slack in His promises as some count slackness. But He wants all to come to repentance. 70 A.D. To the date. To the, the date. Rome invaded Jerusalem. There was a siege for a while. The temple was destroyed. When Titus, when they broke through the wall, the Titus walked through the wall, a plague, pestilence was going through the city, and he literally said, we did not do this. This is an act of God. It was so horrible. God was patient for 40 years for, to put an end to that old Mosaic system. He wanted none to per perish, but of all to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He waited 40 years. And because of Jesus' prophecy, and in and, and, and Matthew 24, um, there was not one reference of any Christian dying when Rome destroyed Jerusalem. Why? Because if they were on the rooftop, they didn't go down in packs. They took off. Just like Jesus told them to do. They fled Jerusalem. And it's that 40-year period. There's a 40-year period. 40 years is a generation. The church, these writings, these writings of the New Testament are, is the church in the wilderness. There was confusion. Let's see. Look at look at just the books of the Bible. This is the estimate of when each of these books were written. The majority of them, almost all of them, except the Epistles of John and the Gospel of John, were written before 70 A.D. So it was writing to people in this transition period of the two covenants. Christians were under extreme persecution at this time from both the Roman and the Jewish governments. Also, there was a false teaching of Judaizers 
and I'm seeing these rise up in our day and age, the Judaizers were a fraction of Jewish Christians, both of Jewish and non-Jewish origins, who regarded the Levitical laws of the Old Testament as still binding to all Christians. They even tried to enforce Jewish circumcision upon the Gentile converts to the early um, to the early Christ Christianity, and they they uh, and they were strenuously um, opposed and criticized by the Apostle Paul. Read the book of Galatians. He, he, he's confronting the Judaizers, and he says that, that if, if you think that circumcision avails anything, go ahead and emasculate yourself. Go ahead and cut the whole thing off, then. If, if circumcision works, it's probably getting even better if you cut the whole thing off. That's some humor in the Old Testament. Or in the New Testament, the writings of Paul. Paul was a pretty funny guy. And, and it says that they spied out our, our, uh, our liberty. They were, they were the, the peekers. You know, you're standing at the urinal and you've got the guy that peeks over at you. These Judaizers were a bunch of peekers. I mean, how would they know? Right? Anyways. I did a whole series on that. But anyways. Also at this time, Nero was a Ro the Roman Empire from 54 A.D. to 68 A.D. Christians were being slaughtered. They were being murdered. They were in the circus arenas, being used as entertainment. He used Christians to light up his parties at night. He, he tied them to stakes and, and drenched them in tar and lit them on fire so they, the party could go all, all night long. Nero was a horrible human being. He, he killed his wife that was pregnant by kicking her, her to death. Um, well, I'm not going to go into everything that he did. You can read about it. You've got to keep this PG. Um, he burnt down Rome. He went on vacation and had Rome burnt down. And he blamed it on the Christians. Why? Because he wanted to rebuild Rome in his own image. Nero was a beast if there ever was one. His name was actually the numerical equivalent to 666. Why have you never heard that? Oh, it's a computer chip underneath your hand. No. What if their future is our past? Our past. Nero set up a statue for emperor worship. You needed to burn a little incense and put a little ash on your forehead or your hand before being allowed to buy or sell in the marketplaces. You can look this up online. Then, then you will receive a writing of Liabellus. Look up Liabellus. It was pagan worship. You had to do that to allow yourself to buy and sell in the marketplace. Nero also had the Apostle Paul, Peter, put to death, and he exiled the Apostle John. So this, this is what's going on when whoever wrote the book of Hebrews is writing to Christians. All see, we think we look at the news and we and we grow weary. We 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 go faint of heart. We get fearful. Come on. 
We haven't faced anything, not even, not even a smidge of what the early Christians faced. I mean, the closest we got is you couldn't go buy groceries unless you put a mask on your face. Right? But all they're going to do is shame you. They weren't going to kill you. Not yet. <laughs> you got to change this thing around. But there was great pressure. There was great pressure. The amount of persecution pressure, pressure to deny their faith in Christ was unreal. There was almost... They were almost 40 years removed of Jesus and his prophecy. And everything seemed to be continuing with no change except the extreme persecution. I mean, this changes how you read 2 Peter. It changes so, so, so much. Many were being tempted to go back to Judaism to escape the pressure. And, and Hebrews was a letter to encourage and strengthen the church. Here's the good news for us in 2024. Unlike the Jews of the first century, we are not looking, we are not looking forward to a future age. We now are living in the glorious eternal kingdom and the eternal covenant where Jesus is Lord now. Jesus is Lord now. This was a political statement. When they said Jesus is Lord, they, 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 they were saying Caesar is not Lord. We have a king. We have a Lord. And his name is Jesus. And he's alive and well and doing good. In Hebrews chapter 1 again, 1 through 2, it says, God who at various times and various ways spoke in the time past to our fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he had appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. There's one of those weird things. He's talking about all this stuff, and then all of a sudden he says, oh, and by the way, he made the world. What? Why, why would you put that in there? See, we just read over that. and Say, yeah, God made the world. Well, if you dig in just a little bit and look up the word, world, you will see that it's a aeon, which means an age. If you look up this scripture in Young's literal translation, it will say he made the ages. He's not talking about the physical world here. He's talking about ages within human history. I would say that he, Christ, is the one that established the covenant. He established the covenant. Jesus was appointed heir to all things, it says here. Romans tells us, think about this. Jesus was appointed heir of all things. Roman tells us in Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I know, it's, it, it's hard to... If Jesus is heirs of all things, and you have been made children of God, and you are heirs with God, with, with, with God, of God and joint heirs with Christ, what does that mean? That you're also heirs of all things. 
Jesus is the Jesus is the God and author of the ages. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10 states, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. What is it? Are we in the last in days, the last days, or are we in the fullness of time? To unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. We're going to get into that next week. What is heaven and what is earth from a Jewish perspective? The age of the Mosaic Covenant had come to an end, and we are in a new age where Jesus has united all things in him, things in heaven, and things on the earth. Verse 3. I told her again, we're going to try to get through verse 4. Who being the brightness of his glory, in the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name now we, we spent lot we spend lots of time talking about this that Jesus is the express image of God. You have you have to filter everything you know about God through Jesus. You have to filter the Old Testament through Jesus. You know they didn't have a New Testament. They had the Old Testament. When they talked about the scriptures, they're talking about Old Testament scriptures. In the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus say. They talk about him. He told, he told the, uh, the Pharisees, you search the scriptures. And what did they search the scriptures for? They searched the scriptures for how they could obtain righteousness. He says, you, th- you, you search the scriptures thinking that in them they, they, they have eternal life. But you miss the whole point. They point to me, Mr. Life himself. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. You've seen God. The sacrifice of Jesus met every demand the law could make. The sacrifice of Jesus met every demand that sin could make. The sacrifice of Jesus made every demand that justice could make. Jesus completely met all the demands when he purged our sins once and for all and sat down. It says that he sat down. We're going to see this when we compare Jesus to the the Levitical priesthood. That the Levitical priesthood, there was no chairs in the temple. Why? Because they were constantly working. They were constantly sacrificing. They were constantly burning incense. They were constantly praying. They were constantly doing, 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 doing. Why? Because they had to earn in the covenant, in the old covenant. You had to do good to get good, do bad or get beat. And Jesus, it says, when he offered up himself and purged our sins, he sat down once for all. And if Jesus is sitting down, if Jesus has stopped working, why are you still trying to work? Why are you still trying to earn? Why are you trying to get in good God, God's good graces? 
it literally says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're seated with him. This is such a great covenant. Wait, wait till we get into the Sabbath rest. That, we, that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Listen, you need to renew your minds. You need to repent to the, the, this understanding. We get up every morning and we just hope something good happens to us today. We get up in the morning and we just hope that things won't, will go our way, that we'll, we, we'll have some, something to say that we were blessed today. Listen, this should radically transform your life to understand that you are blessed. You are so blessed. When you understand that you're blessed, then you can walk, out, walk it out in faith. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are blessed, blessed, blessed. You're not trying to get blessed. You have received an inheritance. You know, in, in Psalms 23, it talks about he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That is not a heavenly table. There is, there is no enemies in heaven. Right? That's on earth. Christians should be having a party. We should be celebrating. We should be gorging ourselves. Our cups should be running over right in the presence of all our enemies. It's a, it's a paradigm shift. And this is what the New Testament is trying to proclaim. It's a new covenant. And so many Christians think that they live in the new covenant, but they're actually mixing the covenants. They're mixing a, a little bit of the old covenant with a little bit of the new covenant. A little bit of works with a little bit of grace. And we're afraid to preach the new covenant. We're afraid to preach grace because we're afraid of what people might do with it. But I believe with all my heart that when people understand how much God loves them, how he truly sees you as a son or daughter in his kingdom, why would we want to live any way else? The only reason we act like the devil is because we think we're his kids. The only reason we don't act like Jesus is because we don't see ourselves as children of God. He sat down. I should sit down. He, he, he sat down. Hallelujah. Think, think about it. Think about your life. The burden. You're, you're, con you're constantly feeling shame. You're constantly feeling guilt, guilty. You're, con you're constantly, constantly, people like miss coming to church and all of a sudden they can't come back because they haven't been there in so long. And, and, and that pressure of to, to perform, to perform, to perform, to perform. We don't come to church to please God. We come to church for us. For us, we need to hear the good news. We need our minds renewed. We need to come together as brothers and sisters. We need to pray for one another. We need to prophesy and encourage one another. That's what the church is for. It's not something to mark off God. I went to church. I only missed one day out of 50 years. Who cares? You can, you can come to church every day and, and, and miss the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Everyone has something to give. So we got through the first four verses of Hebrews. And there's a, there was a lot in there, and there's lots to think about. And that's what's so great about this. You can go back and study it, read it yourself. Next week, we're going to look at how Jesus is better than the angels. Why? Just a little information. You can find this in the book of Acts and the book of Galatians. Why would he say... What, what was, what, why would angels be such a big deal to the Jews? It's because it says that the law, the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant was given to a mediator, who was Moses, through angels. See, they thought they were something special. But that's, that's next week. There's something even greater that's coming. There, there's, there's, there's a covenant that's so awesome that no angel could deliver it. God had to come himself. This, this news was so good that God had to deliver it. And we're going to look at that next week. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are living in a new day. We are living in a new day. We are living in an unshakable kingdom. It's true. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And Father, we ask that Holy Spirit would just quicken, make us alive to this truth. That we would just have our minds renewed to see ourselves completely different. That we are not in Adam. We are not in who our family said we were. We're not who that teacher said we were. We're not who that ex-boyfriend or husband or wife said we are. We are who God says we are. And we are children of the King, joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And we reign in life through receiving grace and the gift of righteousness. That same righteousness that we're going to see next week. That scepter of righteousness, the righteousness of the kingdom, we reign in life through. Holy Spirit, we just thank you God, we thank you. You are awesome. You, your, your marvels are just something that we have to sit back and be awe-inspired in. We thank you for the revelation of the mystery, and that is Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's cl close in one more song of worship, and then we get to eat.